Well, good morning and welcome again to St. Paul's Bloor Street. Anybody else get COVID over the holidays? I have a pretty mild case, thankfully, uh, not too bad of symptoms, but uh, when I was taking the test, that little line went up and illuminated immediately, and I just didn't want to take any chances with all of your health and know there are some immunocompromised and vulnerable people in the congregation. Uh, so anyway, you've got a video preacher for today, but welcome to St. Paul's, uh, and welcome especially if you visited with us over Christmas and decided to come back and give church a chance in 2024. So glad that you are here. So glad you made that choice, and I really can't wait to meet you in person. Please do come and say hello when, uh, when I'm back as well. Uh, before I begin, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So in the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where's the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed the star at its rising, and we, be we came to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. He was frightened here of another king being born, because that's the thing about being king. That's the thing about being at the top of the heap. Everybody wants your spot, and the only way to go is down. Today we celebrate Epiphany. It's one of the major feasts or holidays of the Christian year, like Christmas, Easter, and Pentecost. We use that word, Epiphany, sometimes in normal life, don't we, describing a sudden realization. I had an Epiphany, like an idea just appeared in our minds out of nowhere. That's kind of what Epiphany means in church, too. Epiphany comes from the Greek word for manifestation, appearance. And at Epiphany, we celebrate the appearance of Jesus to the people of the world through the visit of the wise men to the baby Jesus, the wise men, a.k.a. the three magi. Well, appearance to the world, you're thinking, it's just three guys. But this was a big deal because Jesus was born the king of the Jews, the king of the Jewish people. And at Epiphany, we celebrate that the king of the Jews is the king of all nations, all peoples, every tribe, tongue, and ethnicity. We have every inhabited continent here at St. Paul's, a whole world out there full of people groups, and the audacious claim of Christianity is that the king of the Jews is the king of us all. Epiphany commemorates the first time that non-Jews, Gentiles like most of us here, bowed to Jesus, recognized him as their king too. So Epiphany is a provocation in a way, because it says that the king of the Jews isn't just some regional ethnic leader. Epiphany says that no matter who I am, no matter where I'm from, the king of the Jews is my king too, whether I like it or not, whether I know it or not. If you look around the room that you're in, you'll see a lot of king images. There are kings in the windows. There are carvings of kings. And if you look all the way up the stained glass window at the back of the church, you will see that at the very, very top is a royal crown. When Jesus went around preaching, he said that he was proclaiming the good news, the gospel, of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was proclaimed a king when he was born, and he was murdered a king too. The Bible tells us that king of the Jews was written in three languages on a sign that hung above his head on the cross. He taught us to pray, thy kingdom come. So to understand Jesus and what it means to follow him, to understand what Jesus means for your life, 
you need to understand what it means to call him king. Today we celebrate Epiphany, the appearance of Jesus to the Gentiles. But we're also kicking off a new sermon series, King, the Throne of David. And today's a bit of a prequel, as it were. Because King of the Jews wasn't just a title that came out of nowhere. It spoke to the historic hope of the Jewish people when Jesus was born, that God would restore to them a king, their own king. By the time Jesus was born, 2,000 years ago, the Jewish people had spent centuries being ruled by foreign emperors, the Babylonians, Persians, Greeks, and finally, at the time of Jesus, the Romans. But they had a memory of having their own king, and that was King David, who'd lived a thousand years before Jesus. David, as in that famous statue. David, as in David and Goliath. David, as in the author of the Psalms. David, as in David and Bathsheba. There were other kings in Jewish history, hundreds of years of kings, but David was the king they remembered because God had promised David an everlasting monarchy. That promise had started to seem like a cruel joke after the tragedy of a civil war under David's grandson, followed by foreign exile and centuries of domination. By the time Jesus came along, the Jewish people were looking for a God-given king, a true son of David, someone in David's lineage who would set his people free and restore what God had promised. So when we call Jesus king, we're not just saying, you're great, Jesus, you're in charge. We're saying that Jesus inherited the promise that God made to King David, that Jesus is the king in David's lineage who would rule forever. David was complicated, to say the least, but over the next five weeks, we'll get an understanding of who he was. And to explore David and his kingship more deeply, I'd encourage you to come to a free lecture on Thursday, January the 18th at 7 p.m. Our own Lisa Ray Beal, professor at Wycliffe, will be talking to us about Thy Kingdom Come, God's Rule and Human Weakness. It's going to be great. King David matters for how we think about King Jesus. Because what David did imperfectly, Jesus does perfectly. And that's why David matters when we call Jesus a king. Epiphany is the day we remember that the king of the Jews isn't some regional political figure. He's the king of the world, our king. But I'm getting ahead of myself. You're going to hear a lot about David in the coming weeks. So let's get back to our Epiphany story. In our reading from Matthew's Gospel, we hear that the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, was abuzz about three foreign visitors. Three wise men, or magi, had shown up from the east where exactly isn't specified, maybe Iraq, maybe Persia. In later Christian legend, the wise men are called kings. That's the we three kings of Orient are from the Christmas songs. But they weren't really kings, and the Epiphany story isn't really a story about three kings. It's a story about two kings, the infant King Jesus and the vicious King Herod. And this story shows us what kings are usually like, and how Jesus is a different kind of king, even at the start of his life. The Magi were astrologers. They watched the heavens for signs. And I am happy to go on the record and say that in general, astrology is baloney and you should not mess with it. But in this particular case, by God's good grace, the Magi saw something real, a star in the heavens indicating the birth of the king of the Jews. How they knew this, we have no idea, but they knew it and believed it enough to journey to Jerusalem 
the capital city of the Jews, because where else would you go to meet the new Jewish king? It would have been a very long trip, maybe three to six months, so it's only later legend and the necessities of Christmas pageants that puts the three wise men with the shepherds on the night that Jesus was actually born. They're showing up when he's maybe nearly a toddler. Remember that the wise men don't have internet. They don't know the political scene in Jerusalem. So they arrive with what is to them an innocent question. Where's the child who's been born the king of the Jews? We want to worship him. Well, the wise men may have known a lot about stars, but they are politically naive. Because the problem is that there's already a king of the Jews, King Herod the Great. And Herod is understandably less than thrilled to hear that the stars are spreading the word about another king of the Jews, that the stars are saying he's got a rival and diapers somewhere. The thing about Herod was he was only a king by cunning and force and luck. Not only wasn't he in David's lineage, he wasn't even ethnically Jewish. Herod's ancestors had converted for political reasons a couple generations back. Herod's dad had been a prominent official who'd risen in power by collaborating with the Roman occupiers. And eventually, through a weird set of political coincidences, the Roman Senate had declared Herod king of the Jews. Because Rome needed a local ruler in place who they could trust to be adequately ruthless in suppressing the perpetual rebellions and revolutions against their deeply unpopular rule. And Herod was their man. King Herod, who killed so many of his own family members for suspected disloyalty, that a Roman emperor quipped, it's better to be Herod's pig than his son. King Herod, who, when confronted with his own terminal illness, knew that no one would mourn his death and ordered that 3,000 prominent citizens be executed upon his passing so that there would be weeping throughout the nation when he died. He was a political psychopath who built towers and put his name on them. Herod was the king of the Jews, but his Jewishness was a political fiction, bearing no relationship to God's law or ethics or his own spirituality. Herod was king of the Jews because Rome had said so, which means he wasn't really the king of the Jews at all, and he knew it. We're talking about the insecurity and paranoia that comes from imposter syndrome like times infinity. Because the Jewish scriptures were clear, the king of the Jews was God, who gave them their law. That's what made them different from every other people. And even when the Jews had a human king in David, he ruled at God's pleasure, as God's anointed one. Anointed. It's the English word for the Greek Christos, where we get Christ, from the Hebrew Mashiach, where we get Messiah. Anointed. Christ. Messiah. They're all the same word. And Herod was none of them. Herod was only the king of the Jews because the most powerful people on earth had said he was. And that's why he was terrified to hear that the only power higher than Rome had named another king in his place. So he goes running to the religious elites. Where's the Messiah, God's anointed one, prophesied to be born? And they check their books and come back with the answer. In Bethlehem, King David's hometown. The prophecy says a ruler will come out of Bethlehem to shepherd God's people, a shepherd king. Nobody had ever called Herod a shepherd. 
So Herod sends the Magi off to Bethlehem, saying, find the child so I can pay homage also. Three unwitting wise men on a seek and destroy mission. They seek and Herod will destroy. And it's so strange, isn't it, that on the one hand, Herod believes the prophecies about the coming Messiah. He believes that a star in the sky has announced his rival for a throne. But on the other hand, he thinks he can derail God's plan with a clever scheme. Well, the wise men leave Jerusalem for Bethlehem, and now they see the star again. It leads them to a house, and they're filled with joy, because like it says in a holy night, they behold their king, and he's nothing like Herod. Here's an alternative to every king they've ever known, the highest power in the smallest, weakest body. They give him gifts due to royalty, and then God tells them in a dream what Herod's really about, and they skip town without telling him where Jesus is. Well, here's the end of the story of the wise men that you won't see in pageants. When Herod realizes he's been tricked, he does little math. He figures out the age range that the baby king could be, and then he kills every possible toddler king in Bethlehem, trying to stop God's plan with a little war crime. It's an episode known as the Massacre of the Innocents, Based on the estimated population of Bethlehem at the time, it was probably 20 to 40 babies killed for looking like Jesus. And the only reason Jesus wasn't there was that his father, Joseph, had been warned in a dream and had fled with the whole family to Egypt beyond Herod's reach. The Dutch master, Peter Bruger the Elder, painted the massacre of the innocents in his own setting with occupying Spanish soldiers killing Dutch children. But the Holy Roman Emperor Rudolf II didn't like seeing his soldiers depicted like that, so he had the children painted over as animals, loaves of bread, wheels of cheese. It doesn't matter the era. Kings will be kings, except for King Jesus. I love that last verse in the Magi's visit to baby Jesus. Having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. They returned home in a different way than they'd come. You don't meet Jesus, really meet Jesus, and then walk back via the same road you came in on. Meeting Jesus changes you and changes the way you go. In our staff Bible study last week, Ian said he was convinced that none of us come to Jesus for the right reasons, and I laughed because it's so true. The Magi came to Jesus because they were stargazing. But if we all come for the wrong reasons, we stay for the right ones. It doesn't really matter why you've come looking for Jesus. When you find him, you're going to leave by a different way. Even if you go back to where you started from, you'll go along a new road. You don't go home the same. The life of faith is like that. If you've walked it long enough, you know that. If you're just starting out, get ready. Because there are these moments of amazing certainty where you feel God's presence and you know God's love. And then there are these long periods where you doubt what God's done in your life, where you get distracted, where you become indifferent to God. Maybe this morning you're like the Magi in Bethlehem. Or you're not even at Bethlehem yet, but you're seeking, you're following something. 
And what you need to know is that there's a king waiting for you in Jesus who came to bring God's kingdom to earth. He's a good, good king. And St. Paul's is a place where you can learn what it means to trust him with your life. Check out our upcoming Alpha course in English and a brand new Mandarin offering. Our Faith at Home class for parents starts later this month. Our Rhythm of Life class is in early February. Grab a daily prayer guide on your way out. Or maybe you met Jesus a long time ago, so you're more like the Magi as they would have been decades after this visit when they've gone back east via that other road. Thinking, was that really the king of the Jews? We saw the star, we saw him, but Rome's still in charge. Herod's king still run Jerusalem. Were we wrong? Was he really the king? And if that's you, the new year is a chance to remember what God's done in your life. Like actually think through it, meditate on it. All the ways God's been faithful, all the concrete ways God has been good. And then ask in faith what God will do new in and through you in the year to come. But no matter where you're at, the message of Epiphany is this. Jesus is king. And what that means in the end is that it's not on you. Can I tell you that again? It's not on you. You don't have to make him the king. He is. And so it doesn't matter whether you're spiritually tired or wired, whether you're dry or you're driven. The king of the Jews is the king of the world. Jesus Christ is king, and he is waiting for all of us. To him be all honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.